Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, again, good morning. It is so good to be with you, to worship with you today. Uh, my name is Pastor Andrew, I'm one of the interim co-lead pastors here today. And even as we've gathered to celebrate Jesus, we want to go deep into Jesus' word right now. So I invite you to have a Bible open, whether that's a hard copy or uh, an old school scroll or a new scroll on your device with your thumb. Uh, have the word out. We are diving back into our series in the book of Romans. And today you're going to notice we're going to consider the same text we considered last week. And part of that is, is because this text is just so jam-packed with good news that we need to know and that we need to hear to follow Jesus today. So we're considering the same text, but looking at a different layer in this text. Last week, we focused on uh, what what we called the good death, that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are united with Jesus in his death and raised into newness of life. And today, what we're going to focus on is the union that that good death brings about. The fact that we die into Christ and now we live, it's not like, okay, Jesus, you go your way and I go on my way. No, 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 there is a union. We're joined to Jesus. That's what we're considering today. So let's get into Romans 6. Verses 1 to 11. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 914. And let's give ear, for this is the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know? that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we thank you for your word to us this morning. And, And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you come and draw us out? Would you communicate into our minds and in our, into our hearts the reality of which this text speaks and this, which is really a life-changing reality. We open ourselves to you in this time. In your name, amen. Into Christ Jesus, just as Christ, with Christ, in Christ Jesus. I mean, if you really let this text 
do its work on you, it doesn't take very long to see that the central insight is Jesus. Everything is about Jesus and his association with us. This past week, as the horrific situation has unfolded with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, as I'm sure you were doing as well, I was, you know, surfing the news headlines, trying to stay tuned and see what was going on. And uh, it was interesting. There's a war and geopolitical strife going on, and you may have seen the face of a certain hockey player making headlines. Alex Ovechkin, also known as Ovi, known as the Great Eight, uh, was in the headlines this week. And you might have wondered, like me, what on earth does a hockey player have to do with Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Nothing, really. Except for the fact that Ovi is associated with Vladimir Putin. And this got me to thinking about the power of association in our day and age. A hockey player who plays for Washington of all places. Yes, he's Russian, but a hockey player is all of a sudden pasted on the front lines because in 2017, Ovi launched a social media campaign called Hashtag Putin Team. So he's friendly with him. Maybe they have each other on speed dial, and now he's in trouble. Right? Associations are powerful, aren't they? You bind your reputation to someone else, and, and if their stock goes up, so does yours. But if it crashes, look out. Associations are powerful. And now, take this idea of association and think about what God has done for us in Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus came as God on earth and not only associated with us, but he identified with us. He became our representative human and recapitulated our humanity in his own life, death, and resurrection. And what we're looking at today is, is how God's association with us goes so much deeper than a social media campaign, than a click on the follow button, that Jesus has united himself to us and us to him. There's four words used in our text to talk about this union. Literally, uh, they are co-words. So in verse four, it says we were co-buried, buried with. In verse five, it says we were co-planted with Jesus, united with. In verse six, it says we were co-crucified with Christ. And then in verse eight, it says that now we, we co-live with him so that we might live with him. I mean, this goes way beyond association. This is union. This is about sharing the same life as Jesus. This text is announcing to us just this holy and glorious reality. I love how Galatians 2.20 summarizes it and just puts it so succinctly. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not about religiosity. What we're doing here is not about rule following. It's about relationship of the closest kind. 
It's about being joined to Jesus. It's not about being joined to Jesus to improve your life. It's about receiving his very life. So I want us to consider today uh, three life-changing realities of being joined to Jesus. Three life-changing realities. First, presence, purpose, and power. Presence, purpose, and power. Let's look at presence. Joined to Jesus means we get access to God's presence. And here's how presence works in the world. You don't get presence without clearance, right? Think of all like the, the secret offices in the high and mighty places in the world where you like, need like a key card, you know, swipe in. You need clearance to get presence uh, with important people. And in a sense, it's the same with us and God. I mean, before Jesus, the door was shut. God is holy. Uh, We're sinful. And us wanting or trying to get near to God is almost like germs trying to get near to bleach. It's it's like not a good idea. It's that God's holy presence is so all-consuming that unless something happens to fundamentally change us and make us like him, We couldn't be in God's presence. And first off, we've seen in our journey in Romans how when it comes to wanting to be in God's presence, before Jesus starts working on us, Romans 1 taught us that we didn't even want to be in God's presence, that our thinking was futile, that we were darkened in our understanding. But then in Romans 2, we saw that, you know, if we did kind of get that desire to want to be close to God... uh, There are no codes of religiosity. There are no ideologies. There are no uh, five-step processes that we can follow to get into God's presence. We're not able to keep God's law. We, We can't live up to his truth, beauty, and holiness. We're too inconsistent. We're too compromised by sin. And so what happened is Jesus came. He came as the new Adam to be human for us and fulfill God's righteous requirement on our behalf and open up access. And now being joined to Jesus, we have that access. Uh, Scripture talks about us being clothed with Christ. He's made us holy in his holiness. And one of the most amazing things about this, and and listen up, because this is going to just rock your world. One of the most incredible things about Jesus giving us clearance so that we can be in the presence of God is that we're not only fully loved, but we're also fully known. That's a scary thought, that we're fully known, that the access that we get through Jesus to God's presence comes in the context of God being God, and he knows everything about us. He knows the dark corners of our soul. Fully known and fully loved. I mean, think about the things in your life that nobody else knows about because maybe if they knew about it, they wouldn't want to be in your presence. The holy God of the universe knows that. He knows that thing. And he's forgiven you. And he welcomes you into his presence. I mean, we've seen in this chapter and in chapter five that Now, instead of the reign of sin and death in Jesus, we're under the reign of grace. And so his presence is a healing presence to us. His presence is a safe 
presence. It's, it's the loving embrace of our heavenly father, fully known and fully loved. Jesus has undone those shame effects of sin to bring us into the presence of God. That's union, folks. That's union. And what union does of being joined to Jesus actually leads to communion. Communion, right? This ongoing living out of the reality that we have been joined to Jesus. Communion is another word for fellowship. And in the New Testament, fellowship does not mean drinking bad coffee after church. Fellowship means participation. It means sharing in common. It means doing life together. It is a connected way of living. And get this, we often talk about fellowship, you know, on the horizontal level, one with another. But the whole basis of that is actually our fellowship, our communion on the vertical plane with God. That through Jesus, we get in to the relationship of love that has existed from all eternity. Just think about that. In his book, Delighting in the Trinity, Michael Reeves writes this. He says, It is by the Spirit that the Father has eternally loved his Son. And so by sharing their Spirit with us, the Father and the Son share with us their own life and fellowship. By the Spirit uniting me to Christ, the Father knows and loves me as his Son. By the Spirit, I begin to know and love him as Father. By the Spirit, I begin to love aright. Unbending me from my self-love, he wins me to share the Father's pleasure in the Son and the Son's in the Father. By the Spirit, I begin to love as God loves with his own generous, overflowing, self-giving love for others. And if you were getting lost somewhere in that dance, that's okay. That is the love dance of the Trinity. And what Michael Reeves is talking about here is the fact that the eternal communion of love that is the Holy Trinity has said to us, come on in. Come in. Come into my life. Come into my joy. Come into my love. Come into my relationship. Come into my glory. Come into my presence. Friends, do we know that this is what being joined to Jesus means? That we get to come in to the presence of Almighty God. I mean, this is just life-changing. Or it could be if we really grab hold of this, if we really press into this. This is not just a nice thought. This is not just the theory of the Trinity. This is the being of God. And his presence changes everything. One of my earliest childhood memories involves getting caught in a flash storm. I think I must have been three years old I was in Newmarket. I don't remember much else than that other than the fact that it started pouring rain like crazy and thunder was like shaking the ground. As a three-year-old, I was terrified. Um, I didn't know what the apocalypse was, but I think I thought it was happening. I thought the world was ending. And that's how we often feel when we lose sight of God's presence in our own life. Because in the midst of this flash storm, the thing that I had lost sight of was actually the most important thing about me in that moment. It was the fact that I was with my dad. It was the fact that my dad was with me. 
And in, in the midst of the thunder, in the midst of the chaos, he, I just forgot about him. And so what my dad did, you know, this is amazing when you're three years old and you're not six foot three and weigh too much, you just get scooped up. He scooped me up in his arms. He ran with me home to our, our apartment. And I mean, when it came to me, I had no composure. I had, I had no sense of what to do. All I had was sheer terror, but I was with someone who was in control. In that moment, the only thing that mattered was my dad's presence. Not my ability, not my knowledge, not my composer, not my personal achievements. It was all him. And that's the difference that the presence of God makes in our life. That at every single moment of your day, the most important thing about you isn't actually anything about you. It's the fact that God is with you. The Trinity has said, come in. Be with me. Live with me. Let my spirit fill you and draw you into my love. This is the difference that the presence makes in our life. So whatever you're going through right now, whether you're new to Canada, whether you've just lost a job or you're stuck in a toxic one, whether you're going through the death of a loved one or whether you're just grinding away as a parent, pause and know that the truest, most important thing about you is that Jesus is with you. He loves you. You're fully known, fully loved. Being joined to Jesus brings us into this life of communion with Almighty God. That's presence. Being joined to Jesus also gives us purpose. See, the new life we have in Jesus has a new purpose. And this is really important because some of you are, are starting to get to know Jesus. You're discovering who he is. And it's possible that as you get to know Jesus and start to walk out your faith, it's possible, um, you know, to, to let him in a bit. And it's possible to stop there and not actually get on board with his purpose. And that at a certain point, what you start to do is actually see Jesus serving your purpose, right? So there's a great restaurant across the street. They serve a dish called kotu roti. If you don't know what that is, you need to know. But you got to ask yourself, can I handle the spice? So just settle that in your soul first. Can I handle the spice? If you can, get it. And every time you get koturoti, it comes with a little wedge of lime. And I love lime. I love squeezing the lime over the dish. It's so good. Frankly, there's never enough lime. And here's the thing. Sometimes we treat Jesus as if he's the lime. He's the additive. He's the garnish. Jesus is here to, you know, add zest to my life or, or bring blessings. But the, the problem with this view of Jesus is that fundamentally the purpose of my life hasn't changed. I'm trying to use Jesus to, you know, enrich my personal projects. And when it comes to life, Jesus is not the lime. He is the whole dish. He's everything. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the one who holds everything together. And so the nature of being joined to Jesus is not that I start to use Jesus as an additive to enhance my life. It's that I start to surrender and live his life. 
This involves a surrender of our purpose, you know, the ways we try to build our own little kingdoms, carve out our own little place in the world, and surrender that to Jesus and take on his eternal purpose. Being joined to Jesus gives us a new purpose. In Mark 1, Jesus calls his first disciples to follow him, and I'll invite you to turn there. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. This is, this is Jesus in action. Mark 1.14 says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And then it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone on a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed You see, this is the pattern for how Jesus works in our life and gets hold of us and calls us to be his disciples. Uh, And over the years, as I've studied this text with so many different people in small groups or Bible studies, what always strikes people is like, these four guys leave everything and follow Jesus. They leave their purpose and they take on Jesus's purpose. Fishermen become fishers of men. And that's how it works. That's the flow as we follow Jesus. We, we don't try to make Jesus follow us. We don't treat him as an additive. We don't try to use him for our ends. We give ourselves to his end. That's what it means to be a disciple. To be a disciple means to follow Jesus. But I just want to be real here. The word follow today does not mean what it means in the Bible. Today, following is a pretty passive thing, right? You're like, whoop, follow. Following Jesus isn't like following someone on Instagram or YouTube. It doesn't work that way. It's far more active. And the best modern equivalent that captures what it means to follow Jesus is the idea of apprenticeship. That when you apprentice with someone, you're committing not just to do what they do, but to do it how they do it. You're committing to like glue yourself to them, you know, and and watch them. Think of Nathan watching Nigel this morning at the kit. That's apprenticeship. And so when Jesus calls us to himself, he actually calls us to reorient our entire lives around getting with him, getting into his presence. That's what it meant for his disciples. For them, it meant we're going to eat where you eat. We're going to sleep where you sleep. We're going we're to walk behind you such that the dust that you're kicking up would stick to us. That's how closely we want to follow you. And so it's worth asking The question, are you following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Do you see yourself as a disciple? And if so, what is his purpose? If being joined to Jesus means we get a new purpose, what is the new purpose? I don't just want to assume you know it. 
It's probably a good thing to ask. God, what on earth are you up to? He's bringing the kingdom. You saw it in Jesus' announcement. Hey, everybody, the kingdom of God is near. And then Jesus starts to go around. He keeps announcing the kingdom. He keeps teaching people what the kingdom is like. And then he demonstrates it. He confronts evil. He heals people. What God is doing is he's bringing the kingdom. And Dallas Willard defines the kingdom of God as the range of God's effective will. I love that. The range of God's effective will. In other words, where Jesus is, he puts the Father's will and purpose into action. And so you see him, right? Forgiving sin, setting people free, healing people, reconciling, bringing justice to the marginalized, bringing peace to the troubled, showing people how they can be made right with God. He's here to reconcile all things in himself. That's what he's doing. That's his purpose, and that's our purpose too. Personally, like for you as a disciple of Jesus, but also for us collectively as the church. And so the question is, uh, are we surrendered to his purpose, or are we trying to live our purpose? Are we treating Jesus as an additive, or do we see him as the entire point? that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Being joined to Jesus gives us this new purpose. And let me just say, if this sounds intimidating to you, um, that's okay, because the purpose of Jesus is like an eternal purpose. It's huge. It's cosmic. And it's okay that you would feel a little bit intimidated, but I also want you to feel excited Because deep down, we long to give ourselves to something that is so much bigger than we are. And that's the purpose of Jesus. So it's not just presence and purpose that we get as we're joined to Jesus, we get power. Being joined to Jesus means receiving power to live this new life with a new purpose. Check out in our text, if you flip back to Romans chapter six, just the sense of power in this text. Verse four, just as Jesus was raised from the dead. Verse five, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse eight, if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The kind of power Paul is talking about here is resurrection power. It's the power of the risen Lord. I mean, is there anything that we fear generally as humans more than death? Oh, but Jesus has defeated it. That's his power. His power is such that he's even taken death's weapon and turned it on itself by himself dying. I mean, Jesus is so brilliant. If we don't know that yet, we need to know that. He is brilliant. And so New Testament scholar Joseph Fitzmere says, in Christ, Christians are united with the risen body of Christ through the Holy Spirit and therefore share in the vitality of his life and glory. We share in the vitality of his life in glory. We share in his risenness. We share in his resurrection, the vitality of his life in glory. Now just think about that truth and let that filter in. 
to the place where you feel like there's like no glory going on in your life. Maybe it's in finances. Maybe it's in a tough relationship. Maybe in the area of your own health. What would it mean to live in God's presence, take on his purpose, and experience his power, his resurrection life at your point of greatest vulnerability? At the very point where you feel powerless. See, we tend to think that it's our powerlessness that prevents power from being you know, displayed in our life. Like where we're powerless, where we're vulnerable, that means we're defeated. And what we need to do is like buck up or like adopt a new resolution, change our behavior. Actually, that's not how God's power comes into our life. You see, the way God's power comes into our life is actually through those points of weakness, is actually in those areas where we feel vulnerable. Those areas where we just know there's nothing left in me for me to put my faith in that I need to throw myself onto Jesus and his grace. Paul himself experienced this. In, in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, um, he talks about how he has a thorn in his flesh, and he didn't mean literally. Uh, he had some area of weakness or vulnerability that he could not overcome. And he says that he pleaded with Jesus to take it away, but Jesus says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Some of you are looking at this going, really? Yes, really. His power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on, he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. And then he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. What is this telling us about the power of God in our life? It is dependent on his presence. It is dependent on him. And Paul knew that no matter what happened to him, whether he was in prison, whether he was being killed for his allegiance to Jesus, nothing could change the rock bottom reality that he had been joined to Jesus. Nothing that happens to you can change this. No place, no person no thing can take away this union that we have with Jesus. And so, friends, the power here, it comes from Jesus through his spirit. And the obstacle to us experiencing his power in our life is not our weakness. It's actually our pride. It's our pride. It's that we would move forward with self-reliance and self-sufficiency and not come into the presence and the purpose and the power of Almighty God. That's the obstacle to God's power in our life. It's our pride. When I am weak, then I am strong, said Paul, because he knew he was joined to Jesus. I love this quote from John Tyson and Susie Silk. They say that the Christian life is not designed to be run by willpower, drive, or even a vision of making an impact. 
It's meant to be powered by the love of Jesus that comes through intimate union with his spirit in your innermost being. That's where our power comes from, to follow Jesus. And I would just ask you to consider, what's powering your life? What's powering your faith? Do you know the love of God, not in your areas of strength, in your areas of competence, in your skillful areas, but in your areas of weakness and vulnerability? Do you know the love of God there? And if the answer is no, that's exactly where God, by his spirit, wants to just drop his love. See, to live by faith now means that we trust the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That we live his life and surrender to his life. N.T. Wright once said, Faith at this point consists not of shutting one's eyes to trying to believe the impossible. And sometimes we feel like that, right? Faith is, okay, I'm gonna just close my eyes and like take a leap. No, 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 he says, it is to open one's eyes to the reality of Jesus and his representative death and resurrection, to the reality of one's own standing as a baptized, believing member of Jesus' people who are in the Messiah, in Christ, with Christ, just as Christ. Friends, this is such good news that we're joined to Jesus, that available to us on a daily basis are his presence, his purpose, and his power. Do we see this as the rock-bottom reality of our life? When you walk through these doors, what's going to flood into your mind as like the most pressing matter? Is it going to be to live in the presence of God or is it going to be get back to that computer game? You know, uh, I don't know if the Leafs are playing tonight, but maybe it's the Leafs. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's the stocks on the market. What is the most important thing to you? And I would suggest that as followers of Jesus, the most important thing needs to be cultivating our union with him, getting into his presence, living out his purpose, and living with his power. Our city, friends, is not gonna be changed by a few pastors who can speak well. Our city will be changed by Christians who are living in the presence of the living God. That as you go from here, you go as a, as a hundred little, you know, um, bowls filled with the glory and presence of God. You go to your apartment building, you go to your school, you go to your workplace, and you live in the presence and purpose and power there. That's how our city is going to be changed. That's how people are going to come to know Jesus. I just want to bless you with the knowledge that you are fully loved and fully known. That God looks at you and says, come on in. Enter into the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
I want to pray for us, and uh, as I pray, I think worship team, you can come on up. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time of encounter with you. And we pray that as we respond now in worship, that your spirit will be free to move, to draw us into deeper communion. Speak, Lord, we're listening. For we pray it in your name. Amen. I want to invite us to sing a song as a declaration of our intent to have this become a reality in our lives. Would you stand with us? Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.